and welcome to the Digital Works podcast, the podcast about digital stuff in the cultural sector. My name's Ash and on today's episode, episode number 28, we have a conversation with Hilary Knight. Hilary is a senior consultant at AEA Consulting and she's also a trustee of Company of Others. Prior to joining AEA, Hilary was director of digital at Tate and before that held roles at Channel 4 and at the BBC. We talk about her career in the cultural sector, the importance of entertaining audiences, uh, the importance of digitally literate leadership. We talk about the role of team culture in delivering digital projects and loads more. Enjoy. So, hi, Hilary. Hi. We're going to start with your career because... I'm always interested in people that have started in the private sector and in inverted commas and, and then moved into the cultural sector because I do think that gives you a particular perspective that maybe people who have existed career-wise wholly in the cultural sector mm. don't enjoy. Um, so what is what does your career look like? I know broadcast is in there, mm-hmm. certainly time at the Tate as well and now your consultancy but what does the Hillary Knight story look like? Uh, Okay so the potted history I um, have uh, let's say three forgotten years after university which we just won't go into it was mostly characterized by abject failure and then um, I started working at the BBC I got very lucky and I was taken on as a as a temp I'd been doing a lot of admin work and I got a, t- a temp job at the BBC as a, a team assistant and then was promoted to um, PA to somebody who was then promoted to become the CTO. Um, and I was a terrible PA, um, you know, very chatty and friendly and all that, but really not PA material. Um, and I got bored quite quickly. And at the BBC, y- you can learn stuff, right? There's, a, there's an incredible culture of internal training and I learned how to build web pages. And I built our department intranet pages for lack of anything else interesting to do. And, and um, I think one of the things that I've discovered about myself as time has gone on is I'm, I'm at my best when I'm learning and learning new things and trying new things. And I think that's a, an early example. Anyway, I used that as a, a little portfolio to get me a job in the, what was the nascent online division at the BBC. And uh, from there bounced up to Radio One. And that's really where I think my career in digital proper started and I so I spent about six six and a half years at Radio One and One Extra um, making websites running digital teams and this was in the early noughties and at the start of Web 2.0 so it's the the early and then burgeoning days of lots of things like social media and music streaming and lots and lots of turbulence and I learned a ton there um, and had a fantastic time it was a lot of fun and from there I went to Channel 4 and again, doing websites for TV programs, starting with Channel 4 News and documentaries. Um, and that's a very different environment. It was a commercial environment. We had to carry advertising on the website. We had commercial clients um, and advertising partners, as well as the shows. But we were also, Channel 4 is a publisher broadcaster. They don't make their own content. So I moved from a space where I was in the ra- literally in the radio studios as things were happening live and building things live to things that were produced by a production company that weren't part of the organization I was working for. And so working with third party, um, what we call third party partners and suppliers um, and creatives of all sorts of different colors. And then I moved to 
uh, drama. And my final role at Channel 4 was a multi-platform commissioning editor. <clears throat> um, and that was also a lot of fun in drama, working on flagship series like Skins and Misfits. And again, still social media at its height, trying to answer the question of now that people are watching TV with devices in their hands, how do you engage them? Uh, there was a lot of stuff around two screen strategies at the time um, and had a great time there and left there, had a little career break to have a family and then joined Tate and moved. So moved from quite high paced, lively, audience centric um, broadcasting environment to something that felt more academic, but still very, very much about speaking to audiences and reaching audiences and uh, in, in an environment where we're trying to entice people into buildings, which I'd not done before either. But I think the thread that has, that has woven itself through all of that is around storytelling and audiences and engaging with audiences and trying to build experiences and environments that sort of engage and entertain them. And um, entertain isn't something that a word isn't a word we use often in the cultural sector, but it's something I'm, I'm quite into. And now I'm at AEA and I'm hoping that I can use everything that I've learned and the experiences that I've built up um, and the people I've met and everything I've got in my head to help clients um, develop their digital strategies and modernize their organizations and their ways of thinking to think creatively and innovatively and tell amazing stories and be successful. Thanks. And that's a really... Interesting, Jen, and I was struck there by the comparison you drew between the BBC and Channel 4, and immediately I was thought of the difference between, in the theatre world, a, a producing theatre, yeah. which, you know, digital team would be very close to the creative team, you know, would have a lot of access, and a receiving theatre, yeah. where, you know, you're working with external producers and the show is more formed by the time it gets to you and you're sort of given things to work with but mm -hmm. don't have as much of a, a say. I'm wondering if you've got any reflections on the role of digital, I suppose, and digital teams in those two very different or feels like very different yeah. environments and how to be successful mm -hmm. in those two very different worlds and different dynamics. I think... Yeah, they are very different and they, they present very different challenges. And I think the difference, I guess, is around, as you've indicated, is around ownership. And for a digital team or digital individual, as it sometimes is, how close they can get to the action and how involved they can be. Um, and I, But there are similarities, I think, that in so far as, and, you know, hands up, it's now been a very long time since I was at the Beeb, um, but at the time. We were having to work quite hard to convince the um, shows to have us in the studio with them and to work closely with us. And um, it took a while and it took a lot of hard work and persuasion. And then somebody agreed and somebody from the team I was in, I wish I could say it was me, wasn't me first time, um, made something that was a tremendous success that just caught fire. Um, and after that, it sort of proved a case and everybody wanted one. Um, and that's quite often how it works, let's be honest. Um, and so there was that, that kind of level of convincing. I'm certain that doesn't happen now. You only have to look at the output to know that. So moving to, a, to the more receiving theatre end of things, the persuading work is harder. 
um, and there's more of it and the people you're persuading are different but it's still persuading work um, and relationship building and I think for for any digital professional I think the top skill you need to have is persuasion and people skills really because you have to work with so many different people in different departments whether you are making the stuff yourself or whether you're working with somebody who who owns the IP um, you you have to be able to negotiate and persuade them and demonstrate why it's valuable and for I'm sure for touring theatre companies as with production company TV production companies the thing they're making is tremendously precious and there's a lot of pressure on the the creatives who are making it to succeed um, so having somebody come on and go hi can I take this thing you're making and and chop it up into little bits and put it on the internet is you know it can can be off-putting to say the least so I think n understanding where people are and what their priorities are and then coming in with those those skills that demonstrate that you can see their position and that you are on their side and you are there to make their thing even better and even more successful is where you start yeah and I think that skill of being able to intuit what the other person's agenda is or what totally. is valuable to them and then being able to speak to how your work helps meet that agenda is yeah. is something I've heard in other conversations I've had in this yeah. in this forum I suspect it's something that happens in every sector where there are digital teams that are separate from teams who are making a core product or a core message whatever that sector is and maybe on that same challenge I suppose mm. coming back to the again something you said about moving to Tate and perhaps moving from an environment where entertainment was something that people were looking to achieve yep. and unafraid of talking about and was a measure of success yeah. to perhaps somewhere where the word entertainment was perhaps a less uh, primary concern yeah how how did you find that was it was that quite a crunching gear shift to move into it into a, a set of conversations where you know the perhaps people were talking about the same things but they were using very different language and perhaps didn't necessarily yeah. think in think they were thinking in the same way I think yeah absolutely and I think that's the thing that really struck me and that I wasn't really prepared for when I was joining Tate um given my career path because I you know I I was not uh, raised in a fine art kind of environment um at all it was how academic it is and and that was you know that was my entry point it's not it's the, the entire sector in terms of museums and art galleries particularly theatres also is but maybe less so I don't know um debate that one uh was was that it's a very cerebral space and very academic and um, there is a dynamic in for art museums and art galleries that is about presenting your thesis and arguing your thesis through the presentation of the exhibition, and that is almost and well almost opposite and sometimes in actual conflict with any um, kind of need to entertain or engage an audience because you're trying to convey something that is uh, you, one could argue and I've been in these arguments, where that is deeper and more meaningful than mere entertainment. Um, I suppose my counter to that is you have to in, be able to invite people in. And entertainment can be... Being entertaining with meaningful content is some of the most powerful thing things you can do. 
sorry, that was terrible grammar. It's one of the most powerful things you can do. Um, and when you hit that sweet spot, it's you can see the 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 impact with audiences, not just in audience um, numbers, but um, but also in terms of critical acclaim. You don't necessarily have to want have one or the other. Um, but it's a difficult it's a difficult balance to strike, and I suppose the the museum sector doesn't have that um, that driver or hasn't hasn't have had that driver to provide entertaining experiences to audiences in the same way that more I suppose popular culture like TV um, has. But when you look at the success of what are really recent newcomers to the cultural sector, like, you know, the immer I'm talking about sort of the immersive experiences that, that seem to be everywhere now, um, or maybe that's just I'm, I'm tuning into them. And the, the audience figures that they achieve for audiences who could go to an art gallery, who could be going to a museum um, and feeling as enriched and as transported and without feeling stupid or challenged or that something's difficult or that they're somewhere where they don't belong um, I think there's something to learn and you know you were you were at the Tate for a number of years did you see the conversation in this particular area around this particular priority shift at all because it does feel that <clears throat> excuse me it does feel that in recent years perhaps there has been there have been more exhibitions yeah. in uh, sort of traditional cultural spaces that have been looking to entertainment engagement experience as as much as a part of what they're offering as it is a sort of a really important in inverted commas exhibition around a particular artist yeah yeah absolutely and and um, and certainly the shift at Tate and and that I've seen in in other institutions has been very much in that direction of um thinking more if, frankly thinking more about what audiences want and need and listening to audiences more um which is which is really important and really, you know, it's a, it's a fundamental part of kind of digital thinking, but also any kind of business thinking needs to be about what your, what your customer wants and needs, right? Um, and that is something that, that digital content affords us and makes more easy than um, perhaps exhibitions on a wall because you can see behaviours and you can track behaviours and you can obviously get the qual and quant stuff from comments and things like that. Um, but yeah, we've seen... Audience, um, so more audience-centered thinking, absolutely, and that has shifted the sort of how Tate taught and and other institutions. I mean, I'll talk about Tate because I know them best, and I was there most recently. But but other institutions as well talk about their exhibitions, um, where they place content, the sorts of digital content that's made that look that that um, works visually so very visual centric lots and lots of film stuff um for other institutions there's lots of audio stuff it's also creating content that's around playlists and soundtracks to go with exhibitions as well as the content of the exhibitions themselves so that kind of whole um web of content and experience that weaves itself around an exhibition um and yeah absolutely that's that's definitely grown and it's something that um that i think 
has become kind of a standard way of doing at the bigger institutions now. What I'm curious to see ne happen next is how that, what's the next level of that? And how do the institutions that hold incredible wealth of deep knowledge about the artifacts and you know incredible and um, absorbing artifacts and artworks that they have in their collections how they tell those stories um, in other spaces as well you know how, how they kind of I don't know build on this start of being amazing tremendous storytellers into you know um, other platforms like streaming services you know we've seen um, MoMA and the VNA have TV series about behind the scenes of museum. Um, I would love to see Tate and the National Gallery and the Met and MoMA have partnerships with Netflix or Apple TV um, about the stories that they hold in their collections. Because as we've seen with the pandemic, you don't, obviously the buildings are important, are vital parts of the museum and the gallery experience, but they aren't all of it anymore. Yeah, you know, if you if you go, I guess if you go back into a broadcast context, the institutions have, you know, they have IP, they have expertise, they have talent in inverted commas, 100%. and you know that is really really valuable. And it feels like the sector is maybe starting to wake up, but still hasn't fully realised the stuff it just has to hand that yeah. is of the riches. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it's, you know, I, I don't want to kind of make light of the the shift that that would involve. It's it's significant. It's a significant shift in thinking about business and operating models of how you make this part of your business, your day-to-day -day business, how you fund it to get going, how you work out what works and what doesn't. And the skill sets to do all of that aren't necessarily in all of our cultural institutions at the moment, but some of them are. Um, and yeah, so I don't want to I don't want to diminish the, the the scale of the task at hand, but I think the opportunity is quite exciting. And it feels like through the pandemic, you know, we saw some little bl blooming blooming's, yeah. some some blossoming of mm -hmm. of experimentation and new ideas, and perhaps some people tentatively feeling their way into the sorts of spaces that we've just tentatively described. But it feels like over the past year, as as people have tried to reopen their physical buildings and mm. welcome physical audiences back, a lot of that stuff has stopped happening, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I think, you know, understandably, people have felt they didn't have the capacity to do both, yeah. which is understandable. Mm. As someone who was recently, <laughs> you know, director of digital at a big institution, yeah. how important do you think it is that organisations make the space to work out how they can start to operate in this digital space, even if that means perhaps doing slightly less physically, as it were. I, I think it's vital. I think it's um, vital for their own organisational resilience um, and for their ability to continue to move forward. Um, we've seen over the last three years the pandemic existentially challenge museums in a way that digital transformation didn't in the early noughties. So going back to when I spoke about Radio 1, like music streaming existentially challenged the music industry and record labels closed. Um, you know, the same happened for print journalism, for publishing, for cinema, for TV. Um, and 
to you know to greater and lesser extents and museums and galleries seem to sidestep all of that and and make some incremental developments they may put ticket sales online and um, put some collection online and and started advertising using digital media and social media and sort of absorbed some of these changes which is fantastic you know fantastic level of adaptation albeit slow but um but nothing existentially challenged them quite as much as as having to close their buildings um and i can understand um, I don't agree with, but I can understand the sort of the swing back away from more digital experimentation once the gallery doors reopen, because there's kind of a relief and a, and a desperate desire to want to go back to normal. And, and normal was 2019, but we're now 2023. And um, audience expectations of what they can get online has fundamentally shifted, or maybe not fundamentally shifted. It was always there. It's been accelerated. Um that's not going back. So museums and galleries and other institutions who have sort of rolled back on their digital investments, that's okay for now. But what audiences expect and audience behaviours are continuing to move forward. And if you don't keep pace with them, you will ultimately become left behind. Um, And also, this is one pandemic that shut the buildings, right? And I don't want to get all end of days about this, but... There might be more. There might be other challenges. We've seen, um, you know, these, uh, you know, and they, they, let's hope they're not pandemics, but other challenges like um, these burgeoning immersive experiences that are capturing audience attention are taking potential audience share away from museums and, and galleries. If museums and galleries aren't continuing to innovate and iterate, those audiences won't find them. Um, and over time, they will become less and less part of people's cultural lives because they're not continuing to move forward. If you take, you think about any other sector, if you think about um, retail, right? If, if retail didn't continue to invest in digital innovation, in trying new things and experimenting and accepting that some things don't work, some things will, and double downing on the things that work and the things that don't. If retail didn't do that, <laughs> shops would close, people's livelihoods would disappear, and I think, you know, we have to think, we have to think like businesses um, and think about, and that includes thinking about how you continue to adapt your offer to audiences. It includes understanding what your audiences want. It includes looking for new audiences. It includes thinking about the skills that you have in your organization and how they work together and how your organization is organized, if that's not tautological. Um is, you know, there's, it's across the whole piece, and it doesn't have to be a wholesale transformation. This can be an evolution, but you can't turn the clock back. We can do it for now. It feels comfortable. It feels nice and cozy to like pretend we're back in 2019. I completely get that, but it's not realistic. No, and I, I think that echoes things that other people have reflected on in in these types of conversations that. You know, to to not experiment is risky. Yeah. Uh, you know, yes. perhaps um, to the point of, you know, organisations ceasing to be relevant and then quite quickly ceasing to exist. Mm. And the status quo that people seem to be trying to achieve is now, you know, three and a bit yeah. years out of date. Yeah. And even if you 
try to pretend that audience expectations haven't changed you know the societal context has shifted you think about just cost of living Mm. um energy costs you know all of these these other very very tangible pressures Mm. are shifting the way that organizations should be thinking and and behaving and adapting and i completely understand that the natural desire to that is to sort of bunker down and try and double down on what you know and what's worked in the past but i i really believe that unless the sector starts to explore some new ways of working that we could be in a real uh, sticky spot in three to five years time i completely i mean the world is moving so fast that the greatest risk you you take is in standing still um yeah absolutely and i'm interested to look at your time at at tate a bit because Mm. you know you came in director of digital the tate did a lot of digital stuff while you were there it it seems from um someone on standing on the sidelines and i'm intrigued now you've now you've left (laughs) (laughs) and and uh, perhaps reflected a bit what you are sort of proudest of Mm. that you achieved in your time at tate perhaps what you're sad that never you, you never quite managed to make happen and maybe a reflection on the challenges of working in a you know a a huge inst- multi-site institution like Tate that has this global profile yeah um which I'm sure opens many doors mm-hmm. and presents many opportunities mm-hmm. but equally I'm sure comes with many challenges of course um so maybe we start at start you know, <laughs> with, with the things that you're you're proud of <laughs> Um, o- over your years is at, at, at Tate because it feels like there's a lot. There is a lot, and um, ab- above all else, the thing I'm proudest of is the team that I worked with. Um, and when I joined Tate, I joined as a as head of digital content after a restructure of the digital team that brought together teams that hadn't necessarily been working together in any, or, you know, in on, on a daily basis anyway. Um, and together with my colleagues at the time, we built that into a cohesive department. And then when I took on the directorship, um, we kind of took that up a notch. And in terms of the, their, their ways of working, their incredible collaboration skills their really thoughtful approach to digital in an art world context their ability to work with colleagues across the organization their imagination and innovation and above all compassion is you know is 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 really um something i ha- i'm in awe of really they are they are very very excellent colleagues so um and i can't you know they are their own people. I can't claim all the glory for that. But that is, you know, bringing together a team of great people is is the thing I'm proudest of because um, that's the thing that keeps on going, you know. And and I I led the department. I didn't do all the work, right? So you need to have an, an amazing team of amazing people if you're going to maintain the level of output that Tate, digital output that Tate has. And then other things I'm proud of, you know, I'm proud of being able to do um, projects like the Modigliani VR, which was in, I think, like 2016, 2017, which feels like a million years ago now, um, and um, but was, was just kind of one of those exemplar projects of bringing people from across the organization together 
and um, to a, and, and creating a really great result. And and the the piece that we made sort of still stands up. So I'm very I'm very proud of that. Um, I'm proud of other you know there are things that that launched in the gallery after I left, but started before I left. So I can I can remain proud of them. Things like a new drawing bar in Tate Britain, like which took enormous amount of work um, on the part of part of colleagues more, more than me, but enormous amount of work to kind of get agreement on and is just beautiful and welcoming and full of people drawing whenever I go in there and people making and being creative and feeling inspired and people of all ages. And, you know, it's what you want to see in something in the heart of the Tate Britain building. Um, there's one at Tate Modern as well. I should, you know, in, in that thing where you've got to be fair to all siblings. There's one in Tate Modern as well, but it's been there longer. So I shout about it less these days. Um, so... And obviously, you know, the website I'm tremendously proud of and it keeps evolving. And I suppose that goes back to the team, the practices that they've developed that m mean that the work is always maintained, always polished, always moving forward without having to throw everything up, everything up in the air again and rebuild from scratch every five years. Um, there's lots that's challenging in working like in a big organisation like Tate. And actually, this is one of the things that was similar with the BBC, it was one of the things I recognised, um, and to a lesser extent, Channel 4, because in Channel 4, you're all in one building, so you can, if there's a problem, you can always walk up a flight or down a flight of stairs and, and have a human conversation. Um, but it's the, the multi-siteness, and that Tate is four galleries and a research centre, or multiple research centres, um, and a learning team, and um, stores, uh, all all coming together as Tate and there is a Tateness that defines all of them that they all have in common but they are also all individual and all have their own um, strategies and aims for success and definitions of success for particularly for the galleries that are their own and so finding the the thing that balances all of those when you're trying to present the whole organization digitally to the whole world um yeah, that's an ongoing challenge and I can't pretend that I solved that. Um, I think I made progress. Um, we had some really great conversations and there was a lot of good work um, that started last year and continues um, after my departure. So, you know, it's and it's a known challenge, right? It's not it's not like Tate doesn't know that this isn't a challenge. Uh, but I'm, I suppose when you said, what am I saddest about? I'm saddest about that. I didn't crack that nut. That was, that's, that's the one thing I look back and go, damn it. Because if I had, then I could uh, bottle that. And Because, <laughs> you know, there, I think there are lots of places that have that challenge. Yes, I think lots of people are uh, confronting all of the things that you, you talked about yeah. there. And I think, you know, often if you look at the organisations that seem to be most successful in the digital context, you know, they've got, really clear leadership and then they have really great culture and really great team and I you know I'm working with a few organizations at the moment who are restructuring their digital teams or restructuring around their digital activity and I'm interested if you've got any reflections on on that because it feels like people get very hung up on roles and very hung up on processes which are absolutely important but it feels like that the special source is culture yes. and it is the 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 values and the qualities of the people that you're bringing in around as you as you've said people that are compassionate and collaborative and good negotiators and who are curious mm. 
because that's how you keep doing good stuff. It's not just about saying, right, we need someone who's a really good video editor or really comfortable VR experience yeah. designer. Actually, there's all this so these soft skills, this culture of stuff that, that that's the important. It's, it's, it's absolutely vital. I suppose I'm going to try an analogy here and it might all fall over. But um, if I think about the, the processes are kind of the skeleton of the team or the department and that you know if, if you don't have them it falls over <laughs> I'm liking my analogy now um you've got you've got to have a good and robust skeleton uh to 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 build things on and then the skills that you have in terms of content production um and uh I guess design and code and all those things are kind of the muscles that move the skeleton but the blood flow that gets the messaging I'm loving this analogy the blood flow that gets this, the messaging around from skeleton to muscles to brain to vital organs I don't know what those are yet I'll wing I'll wing it um that is the that's the culture and the and 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 because culture is how that department thinks about itself and how it presents itself to the rest of the organization and to the wider world um and and also how it communicates and um and if you have you can have the most incredible skeleton and muscle muscle structure um but if you don't have the culture that makes that that means that communication works well and that people can work out how to work with each other and have pride in their work but enough humility as as individuals to know that they aren't the be all and end all um then it's it doesn't matter how good your processes are and you will end up with, you know, and cultures, and I've seen it, and I've been in teams where this has happened, where you have a rock star in your team, and everybody defers to that rock star, but it means that other stuff gets neglected, and you don't have a well-balanced team, and you don't have a well-balanced portfolio of work, and ultimately, you will succeed for a time. When that rock star leaves, your team falls over, and you have to start again. Um, so, yeah, there we go. Skeletons, muscles, <laughs> blood flow got a bit gruesome i think that is a valuable and good analogy <laughs> when people are <laughs> thinking you. about teams thank you but yeah and, and and it's and it's hard to grow and it's not something you can buy in and it's not something that you can grow overnight and it requires really really good leadership and not just from the individual at the head it requires the people that are leading the teams and ultimately it will cascade down if you have good leadership people um, follow by example and if you are a trustworthy authentic honest compassionate and hopefully a bit creative leader and compassionate doesn't mean weak you know there's great strength in compassion um, and your leadership team are also you know embodying those those qualities it filters down and then it filters out because also you know that's how people will then take your their work your work to the wider organization and i think uh, what's my next question my, i think my <laughs> next question is probably about l people who end up in leadership roles in the digital parts of cultural organizations and how those people very often seem to end up leaving the sector or at least moving out of in-house roles you know I can think of five or six people that I think we both know that mm. got to a certain point a sort of head of digital maybe director of something yeah. role and then felt they needed to leave the sector which is such a, a loss I think 
to this to the sector um in terms of skills in terms of experience um and i when when i was thinking about this it feels like that only seems that, that most regularly seems to happen with digital people um you don't see that so much with marketing colleagues or operational colleagues or artistic colleagues um and i i as someone <laughs> 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 who, who may have who who may, may have done, done this that. yes i'm just wondering if if you had any thoughts you could share on on why a move to consulting rather than to another cultural institution was the move that you made was it a move you were looking to make did aea approach you i'm just interested in because it does feel like there is a bit of a, a talent problem around digital leadership in the sector there is a bit of a brain drain that happens you know the best people now no longer either don't work in the sector at all or or sort of tangential to the sector yeah. in consultancy or agency yeah. roles yeah um so i think i have a few thoughts around this um i think one of the challenges is that still leadership and i mean by you know very senior leadership as in directing uh cultural institutions um, has a long way to go in terms of diversity of the careers. I have to speak so carefully because, you know, I don't mean this as any kind of, I'm not throwing shade on people who are directing cultural institutions. They are doing tremendous and difficult jobs. But there is a lack of diversity in the leadership in general in cultural institutions. When you think about other sectors and people moving across sectors, um, that just doesn't happen in the in the cultural sector. And some of that is, and, and people, it's the thing that people shout about first, some of that is to do with salaries, possibly. I think more it is to do with um, what skills we value um, and uh, how we seek those people out. So if you are running a cultural institution, you have probably come up through the academic route of curation. Um, and you will have studied that subject at university and a master's, possibly a PhD. I, I've never met so many well-educated people as I had at Tate, and that's no comment on people in places I've worked before. It was just the numbers of PhDs was um, quite humbling and mildly intimidating. Um, but uh, yeah, we don't have a lot of we don't have a lot of movement in this sector. Um, which means that people don't leave and learn new things and come back in. But it also means that other people from other sectors don't look at the cultural sector and go, oh, I could do some interesting work there because it's, it's quite homogenous at the top. Um, and certainly what I sense at the moment, and I, will I do hope that it will shift, is that therefore in terms of career progression, um, it becomes very limiting when you get to director level. Um, in, in the digital realm. Um, there is only one gallery director I can think of who has a career in who had a career in digital, you know. Um, I'm speaking to him later this month. Oh, you lucky thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, you know, so I think, I think that's a challenge. Um, and then, you know, the, the cultural sector is challenged, let's be honest, by the sorts of salaries that digital people can command in other sectors. So it's not the, it's not, all the fault of the cultural sector, right? It's not purely self-inflicted, but I think there is something about what we value in skill sets at senior levels. And that translates into different 
styles of leadership and structures of organisation and that kind of thing. Yeah, and I think that's a... We could have a whole another hour's chat about oh, yeah. that and what boards value and what sort of institutional strategy is primarily concerned with. But I do think yeah. it's it is an it's an issue that runs through all levels of institutional thinking. You know, from yes. from boards and execs all the way down to to. You're right, actually. Conf- you're right conf- to talk about it in terms of what the institution values, and um, in terms of skills in terms of different ways of thinking and different approaches and different ways of um, operating model as yeah. well. Lots more to pick up, perhaps. Yeah, you've in got another, a whole future podcast series well, we'll, in we'll, we'll, We will absolutely do that <laughs> at some point. But to, to, to finish, perhaps, I'm, yeah. I'm interested in talking a bit about where you are mm. now because certainly when I saw that you'd gone to AEA, I thought, Oh, that's interesting. I mm-hmm. didn't know that they had a digital focus, to be perfectly mm. honest. And, yep. you know, you are a digital person. That uh-huh. is where you have built your career. So so what is what does the role at AEA look like? What are you working on? What are you hoping to work on? Um, uh, it's great. I'm really enjoying it and I'm learning a lot. Um, so AEA, for those who don't know, we are a strategy organisation. We provide business uh, and planning and strategy to arts and culture institutions all around the world. Um, and so the sorts of things I work on are strategic plans for new institutions or existing institutions, operating plans. It's not just digital strategy, but yes, I do 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 I do do digital strategy as well and um, so I suppose what I'm doing at AEA uh, is um, deepening and expanding on we, what we can offer from a digital perspective so when I work on um, operating plans and dig- and um, business strategies I'm you know I'm thinking about the whole organization um, and I bring to that my experience and a digital lens and some of that experience is just from working in organizations but also some of it is very much about how do we weave digital into this into this institution for its um ongoing kind of success um i'm also really interested in building uh creative and innovation practices within teams and thinking about how you can kind of weave that into the day-to-day um and thinking about uh, new business opportunities. So looking at uh, the immersive sector, uh, it's not a sector, is it? But, you know, immersive um, experiences and other kind of newcomers to the cultural sector. So I think about the culture sector in its widest sense. So I I would consider, you know, the immersive experiences that we see, um, broadcasting, all the way down to you know, fine art museums. I, I'm, I'm interested in all of it and thinking about how, um, any of those organisations can tell rich and compelling stories that audiences love and want to come back to again and again and how you make that sustainable within the organisation and how you make that a sustainable business as well for the organisation. So it's it's really interesting work. And the very fact that you are now at AEA, yeah. whether that is as a response to inquiries that they as a, as a consultancy were getting or because of an opportunity that they spotted and felt they needed to bring in someone with your expertise yeah. feels like you know we've talked a lot about challenge and frustration but th- that feels like a positive thing because yeah. AEA are working at the you know the tip of the spear in terms of 
institutional strategy, yes. the, the conversations that you are having are in, inevitably going to filter down and influence institutional thinking and yes. institutional prioritization so that yes. that does feel yeah positive yeah absolutely and that that is the aim you're absolutely right and it's about um yeah trying to trying to weave this into the conversations that are happening at board level and in the senior executive level um because it's 2023 right <laughs> um, we've got to we, we, we we've got to keep moving forward and um i think I mean, above all, I think the cultural sector is so important, so important and so vital and and can be tremendous, can be incredibly successful um, and beneficial to the communities that they that it serves in a sort of local and regional and global scale. Um, I absolutely believe that it's possible and can be, you know, for, for lots of different territories, because now this is one of the great things about AEA. I'm, I'm not just thinking about the UK. Um, but I think it's really, yeah, I think it's really, really important that we continue to help organisations to make that kind of digital thinking part of the part of their everyday fabric. And maybe as a very final thought, you know, as you said, it's 2023. <laughs> Let's look over the next 12 months, you yeah. know, the, the types of conversations that you're having, what are the what are the maybe three or four or five key areas that you are looking to either help organisations with or force onto the agenda? Is it about <laughs> skills? Is it about strategic planning? Is it about leadership? Oh, my God, it's all of it. It's, um, yes, it's, it's skills. It's about um, digital maturity. Um by which I mean, how do we start with digital literacy for some organizations? It's, it's starting from m much earlier on in that kind of digital understanding. But how do we grow that ability at senior levels to be able to factor digital in? It's not about making everybody a digital executive. It's just about this is part of business now. Um, so there's that kind of level of, sort of digital maturity um, at, at leadership levels. Of course, a digital strategy and weaving digital into an organizational strategy rather than just bolting it on the side. The days of a bolt on digital strategy, please, have to be over now. We cannot have come through a pandemic and still be sticking digital on as an afterthought. Um, and, uh, and, also then, and therefore, what is the operating model? How do you make this part of a business in a way that can be flexible and adaptable and mature as time goes on um, and then thinking about innovation and innovative and, and innovation in many different ways it doesn't have to be digital innovation but you know thinking about looking further afield looking outside of the cultural sector and learning from other parts of industry and bringing that in to what it is that you know how businesses can evolve into the future yeah and I think if nothing else it feels like that final point is the key thing that organizations need to try and try and do amongst all the difficulties that inevitably yeah, 2023 will, yeah. will involve you have to be trying to at least keep half an eye on what other people are doing what you could be doing differently yeah um yeah you know audiences to for digital organizations live in a world where everything is coming at them all at once right they live in a world where they're looking at the cost of living and they're looking at the news and they're looking at retail and they're looking to be entertained and they're looking to be moved um we can't 
just consider them in this sort of one very narrow sliver of their lives. Um, and so that's, you know, that's just the, that's just the audience. That's not even thinking about the business structure. But I think, yeah, we have to we have to think about ourselves within the wider context of the world we're in. And on that note, <laughs> thank you, Hilary. For your thank time you. Today. Cheers.